0: It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.
1: Coming up on episode number 70 of Sports Day Plus. At 645, where are we at in society? A San Francisco area school spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to implement a woke kindergarten program. Surely that went well. Stay tuned to find out. And in a mere seconds, I'm spending my first three segments with Justin Wells of Inside Texas talking Longhorn football recruiting, the modified college football playoff format, and more. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. It is a Wednesday, which means that I'm spending numerous segments with Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, the Inside Texas YouTube channel. Give him a follow on Twitter at Justin Wells2424. We spoke earlier today and you're going to hear another voice as part of this conversation over the next three segments. That would be my YouTube co-host and fellow broadcaster, Brad Kellner, talking to Justin Wells on a variety of topics. And Justin, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the time. What is up today, man?
0: Man, there is so much up, like so much, so much good stuff happening today. And you know what? Most of it. Is it InsideTexas.com? I'm not lying. We've got new recruiting updates. we got new visitors. We talked to like three or four 2026 quarterbacks. We got some new news on some potential um, uh, recruiting hires happening uh, behind the scenes. I mean, we got it all going on. Plus, playoff talk. Man, the playoff system came out now, and there's a lot of that. And then Sean McVay is the keynote speaker for the Texas football coaches clinic coming in a few months. I mean, where do we start, guys? Oh,
1: wow. I hadn't even seen the Sean McVay part. That is huge. So let's, let's uh, get your opinion on that. What do you think is the biggest of these recruiting stories right now to talk about, Justin?
0: Uh, I don't know if there would be one in particular that's bigger than the others. Um, I think it's interesting getting a lot of these 2026 quarterbacks on campus. Uh, talked to Will Griffin yesterday out of a Jesuit high school in Tampa, Florida. He visited during junior day. 6'2 and a half, about 6'3", 225, big traditional prototype-looking passer. He's going to be on campus. He's been talking to A.J. Milwe. Uh, Grant Smith from Spring Grand Oaks talked to Eric yesterday. He looks like he's going to be coming in. Dia Bell, Raja Bell's son, remember the NBA guard that yeah. always gave Kobe Bryant fits? His son, Dia Bell, plays at, at American Heritage down in Fort Lauderdale. On threes. Chad Simmons reported this morning that he's going to be on campus in a couple of months, and so – to me, the biggest one is Michael Fasusi, the five-star offensive, guard, offensive tackle out of Louisville. Uh, he had told me a few days ago he, he was scheduling it in the next month or so. He didn't have a date for sure. This morning we confirmed he does have a date. He will be in Austin on April 9th. That's big because he's probably priority number one on the offensive line board. And so we know how Kyle Flood likes to go large human hunting. And yeah. Fasusi is one of those that you're, you're trying to catch.
2: Mm, yeah, large humans, very important at any level of football, but they feel even more important with the move to the SEC. What about the defensive line, Justin? That's obviously a question that Longhorn fans have about the current team with Byron Murphy and Tavantre Sweat going pro. But you yeah. know, you know, Alfred Collins is a fifth-year guy. He's gone after this year. Vernon Broughton, a fifth-year guy. He's gone after this year. Feels like Texas didn't do a great job, and part of this is because Bo Davis left and they needed a new D-line coach. But Texas didn't do a great job with this Recruiting class of twenty twenty four and adding D lineman, uh, are there some big names that uh, Texas is going to be in the mix for on the defensive front for next year?
0: Yes, absolutely. You guys know you guys know the rules. You're headed to this SEC, so you better you better stock up on the offense and defensive lines. Um, it's bully ball in that conference, and they will run down your throat until you stop them. And how do you do that? You know, Texas had one of the best run defenses in the nation last year. And and you got to give a lot of credit to those two monsters in the middle. Our own Charlie Williams went and hung out with him yesterday. He went and saw Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy. Dude, Sweat looks like he's down 50, 60 pounds. Okay, he looks – got to go to Inside Texas and check that out. This guy looks tremendous. He didn't want to weigh at the Senior Bowl probably because he was probably hovering around four bills, and now he's getting a a little bit back down to game shape. He looks tremendous. That type of frame and body is what gets you into the first round. So Texas has to continue that. they got to carry that over into their first year in the SEC. How are they going to do it? Like you said, Alfred Collins, Vernon Broughton, Sadir Mitchell, uh, uh, Teola Sevilla from Arizona has been impressing in winter workouts. That is a professional, intense guy. I think he's going to be big. But what about 2025? This will be the cycle that determines – Kenny, This will be Kenny Baker's first cycle, if you think about it. This is going to be his first round with it. And so there's two guys on the top of the board that are must-gets, and that's Zion Williams out of Lufkin and Dylan Battle. Out of Mansfield Timberview. And not to mention keeping Brandon Brown, the EU galley out of Melbourne, Florida, defensive tackle that's committed to Texas currently. He's supposed to be coming back in late March with his seven on seven group. So Kenny Baker has his work cut out for him. This is going to be his first stamp. You know, he he wants to build some skins on the wall. You know, that's what these young energetic coaches do. And for him to do that, he's gonna have to he's gonna have to grab some of these guys. It starts with Zion and Dylan you got to get both of those two guys on the board Zion 65 about 315 320 he plays in he's in theater he plays Santa Claus the dude is a, an all A student he has got the biggest smile in the state of Texas and he's got Texas LSU and A&M all in the mix Dylan Battle I went and hung out with last week another guy that's got Michigan where his father's from he's got Texas he's got TCU he's got Texas A&M he's got a a few other schools in the mix as well so for the D-line to really restock in 2025 cycle and look they're gonna have to take in my opinion at least four I mean you can they got Alex January and they got Melvin Hills coming over from this 2024 cycle but in this next one guys I think it's gonna go four deep and it begins and ends with Zion holy mount Zion and Dylan let's go to battle
1: if you were to get to ask Sean McVay one thing at the uh, the coaches clinic that he's going to be speaking at here in a little bit, what would you want to
0: ask him? What would I want to ask McVay? Yeah. How in the hell do you remember every single play call you've ever made <laughs> since you've been in the sport? Like he's, he did this thing on camera, I want to say a couple of years ago, maybe it was right before or after they won the Super Bowl, and they asked him, hey, Miami Dolphins, 2017 week 13 third down and 4 what was your play call He knew it mm. It was one of those weird long plays that you hear uh Peyton Manning joking about banana Y left John Gruden slot give him a sla- give him a little waggle corner rag flag route he re- How do you remember that It's one thing to un- to remember your plays It's one thing to remember the scope and the moment of a big game or a big play call, but a random play that happened five or six years ago, dude, that's a memory unlike any I've ever seen. He's an offensive innovator. Um, he, there's so many things. I, I think him and Sark get in a, get in a room and they just giggle because they're like, "Hey, won't you? You want to try some of that spider too? Why? Ah, what do you think about duo on that RPO? Doing at RPO going together. I mean, those two got—they're probably is—they're probably hilarious. I'd love to be a fly on the wall, but yeah, I'd ask Sean McVay, how do you even remember that kind of stuff? I mean, I get it, but my goodness, that memory is—it's um, amazing.
1: The unofficial answer for that is productive autism, Justin.
0: Hey, highly functioning autism, and if yeah. that's the case, more power to him. That yep. uh, Sean's yep. a, Sean's a—he's he, a G. He knows what he's doing. I love that, that that Sark's bringing him.
1: He is Justin Wells of Inside Texas, insidetexas.com, the Inside Texas YouTube channel. You give a follow on Twitter at Justin Wells2424. The second voice that you'll be hearing throughout this conversation is with Brad Kellner, my YouTube co host and fellow broadcaster. And coming up, we continue this conversation with Justin for a couple of more segments. Upcoming topics do include. What Longhorn offseason workouts are looking like in terms of new guys who are impressing? The college football playoff going from a six and six format to five and seven. That includes the top four rankings going to conference champions versus the four highest ranked teams. How Justin feels about that and more. That's coming up over the next two segments with where are we at in society at six forty five right here on Sports Day Plus with you 6-7 to seven every weekday on 1027 ESPN and 1027ESPN.com.
0: It's Sports Day Plus
1: with Trey Elly.
0: It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie it's
1: Back with Justin Wells of Inside Texas here in just a bit. First, though, I wanted to let you know about my friends at Pest Wranglers. That's right. My guy Steve started Pest Wranglers back in 2006. Since then, they've done a fantastic job taking care of those pest problems while also providing exceptional customer service. And right now is the time for you to get out in front of mosquito season. That's right. Those mosquitoes are going to be biting like crazy here coming up pretty soon. Actually, should I say blood sucking pretty soon? Pest Wranglers actually offers eco-friendly treatments that do not target bees or butterflies and are non-toxic to birds and mammals. That includes your dog sniffing around the backyard. It's effective for up to a month. Kills mosquitoes that transmit all sorts of diseases, including yellow fever, Zika, and West Nile virus. And it works against insecticide-resistant mosquitoes too. Not only kills adults, but also prohibits larva from maturing. It's field-validated with a ton of scientific research backing up the results. Stuff was actually used in Africa for malaria control. And again, it is non-toxic to those non-mosquito species. They also offer a conventional mistreatment for fast knockdown for things like outdoor parties, pool parties, things like that. It's effective for up to 21 days. There are no horrible odors for any of these treatments. And it's also typically wallet-friendly, usually under 100 bucks per month. And as always, because they believe in that customer service, there are no contracts that you have to worry about signing. To find out more info or to get yourself scheduled for a service, go to pestwranglers.com. And now back to my conversation with Justin Wells of Inside Texas, the third voice you're going to hear in this conversation is my broadcasting co-host on a different venture and fellow broadcaster Brad Kellner.
2: Jay Wells, you brought up uh, winter workouts a couple of moments ago. You mentioned Tia Savea, the transfer D-tackle from Arizona. We know you guys are all over this at Inside Texas right now, but uh, who are some other names that you keep hearing about, guys that are standing out a little bit before spring ball gets going?
0: Yeah, it, it, it's still early. Uh, Eric and Aline and I are going to have a, a team-related uh, post Thursday AM, basically kind of recapping everything that we've been hearing over the last week or so. Um, it's the Underwear Olympics—that's what we like to call it. It's winter conditioning. But what's funny is that even though it's not football, uh, Tory Beckton gets these guys for about a month and a half, almost two months, and, and he tries to get them He tries to get them right before they they enter into springtime and, and, and Sark and those guys take over. Um, the thing that I think, I, I think the two names I've noticed the most, one is Ty Anthony Smith, the outside linebacker, uh, late, late flip from AM out of Jasper, Texas. Um, Ty Anthony's a guy that he is just a rangy guy. Like he has a wingspan, like a condor, and he's got this frame and, and his ability to go sideline to sideline is legit. I saw him play in high school and the first three plays of, of Waco Connelly series on offense, he made two of them sideline to sideline. And, and you just immediately knew they were trying to run away from him and he wouldn't allow it. He's like, no, no, you don't run away from me. i come get you. And mm-hmm. so Ty Anthony's showing a good work ethic. He's he's keeping his head low. He, he's keeping the intensity and the enthusiasm high. I think he's a guy that people need to pay attention to. And I'll give you a portal guy, Andrew Makuba. Like – I know we can go through each one of these portal guys, and each one of them has their own skill set. You know, each one of them can, can bring an, an interesting array of, of, of skills to, to, to their position. But, man, when Jaday Barron decided to come back, that secondary got ridiculous. Because two years ago, they're trying to put an influx of athletes, move Keaton Crawford back there, try, try to get some more athleticism back there. Now they're full of it. And you've got guys with experience. Makuba can play some safety. He can play some nickel. He's a guy that, if you talk to the recruits in the 2025 and 2026 classes, a lot of what these Texas coaches want are guys that are interchangeable. They, it, it reminds me of Dwayne Aquina. You know, of course, you want the corner because the corner is the hardest thing to find, and you're a corner before you're a safety or a nickel. But if you can play two or three of those spots, Texas is running out five DBs on a regular basis on in any defensive set. That gives those guys more opportunities. I know two guys that are really busting it. Freshmen are Kobe Black and Jordan Johnson Rebel, both early enrollees, both highly motivated guys. Kobe at 6'2 over two bills, playing corner. Jordan Johnson Rebel, kind of more of that compact guy, 5'10, 5'10 and a half. Quandre Diggs type can play some nickel, can play some safety, really smart. Uh r- r- you know, just a really, really good kid. And so, you know, it's early. They're not, papping, they're not pop, popping pads yet, but just how they approach day-to-day stuff, time management, class management, you know, friend management, football management, how they're doing that. These young freshmen and these portal guys, they came to work, and that just shows you Sark has a type. And if you're an early enrollee, like 80% of the class of 2024, there's a good chance you're going to see the field early. And, and I think that's what Sark's looking for in this culture.
1: Guys who are not only talented, but also the hardest workers on the team. Yeah, uh, that capital C culture word once again. And on Baron Justin, we've talked about in the past, that, w- that was huge for what this Texas defense is capable of this coming season because he was a defensive MVP through the first half plus of the season. The last part was a bit of a struggle, though. How much did that play into his decision to ultimately come back to Austin for one more year?
0: That's a great question. Don't forget, this guy was injured twice. Yeah. He played hurt twice. He had no business being in that Houston game. No. None. He had to come in and play corner at that. That's how good he is. Barron is so valuable. And I like it just because it's also another leader. Like, you had vocal guys last year. Sweat, Murphy, Jalen Ford. You know, you had your, your vets, Christian Jones. Barron was in that mix. But now he, with that extra year, you get to kind of con- ho- hopefully have some overlap with that leadership. I think Barron came back because maybe he didn't get the NFL grade he wanted. Mm. Or in some instances, like with Quinn Ewers, he just enjoys going to Texas. He enjoys he wants to enjoy the college experience. He has no hurry and no rush to, to, to become a professional. Uh, you know, in the NIL era, I think this you're going to see more of these guys do this. Because it's it it can it's a better you're not trying to cash a ticket today. It's a better long term investment. And if anybody that knows today, listen, that is a smart, analytical kid like he's he 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 hits the stock market. He knows about stocks and bonds and, and all sorts of things like this guy is going to be successful in whatever he does. So you get Baron back there with Makuba, with a Derek Williams a year older, with a Michael Taft that's a little can do a little bit of everything, not to mention two really, really good corners in Terrence Brooks and, and Malik Muhammad. And that secondary all of a sudden becomes real, real nice. And I think Barron coming back was a, a combination of Maybe he's not in a hurry to go to the pros. Maybe he didn't like that draft grade. And maybe he just wants to be healthy in his final year because he was dinged up pretty bad twice, it, twice that we know about during last season. And BK,
1: that was a great point about his leadership next season. He's a guy whose voice was so valued coming into this most recent season that he was a part of that group that went to Jerry World for Big Phil Media
2: Days in July. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be back next year as well. Justin Wells of Inside Texas joining us right now. Uh, Jay Wells, your thoughts on Sark's contract? We found out a couple of weeks ago he was getting a new deal, but over the holiday weekend, we found out exactly what that deal was going to look like. Now that you know everything that it entails, what uh, what are your big takeaways and big thoughts on the new contract?
0: Do you ever remember one of those early season episodes of Family Guy? And it was Brian, the dog, who's him and the baby are the best characters. And Brian's sipping a martini and he's on the corner and he's singing money 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 and he turned around and he's like to me it's one of the funniest things that was sark when he figured out what what that contract was going to entail i want to say and joe cook did a great job of of putting this all together go ahead and check him out at insidetexas.com and the inside texas youtube football channel um i think i you know i think it was deserved i think texas isn't going to be beat out on money When it comes to these type of jobs and these types of positions, I think Sark was coveted. You'll have some Alabama fans that really just don't know anything about their own program. Tell you that, you know, Kalen DeBoer was the first guy on the list and that's who they wanted. Nah, bro. (laughs) Sark was first on that list. Sark and Dan Lanning, actually. And and so CDC had to work kind of quick. Nick Saban's retirement pushed us forward. Regardless, he was going to get paid no matter what Nick Saban did in Tuscaloosa. He was going to get paid. But that—that that I think it expedited the process. Now he's, what, third, fourth, highest paid guy in college football? Listen, in this era of college football, with NIL, with Portal, with re-recruiting your own guys, with continuity, keep trying to keep continuity on your staff, because we're seeing an influx of college football coach head to the NFL for numerous reasons, Sark has been able to calm the waters in Austin. He's, he's got the perfect disposition and temperament for this gig. And I think everybody understands that. And I, I hate to bite something from Tom Herman, but this this place is aligned. Everybody is on the same page. It's Sark's voice. He's the number one voice in this program. He oversees everything. I think it was worth it. They gave him a few extra years. And, and I'm always leery about when you start talking six, seven years into contracts because we saw a contract down in College Station not too long ago that was probably the worst contract in the history of, of sports ever ever. Mm. Uh, And so, and you saw how foolish that was, but here's the point, you know, Sark has proven his mettle. Sark has incrementally gotten better every single season. His recruiting has gotten better every single season who he picks in the portal gets a little bit better every season Now they got 11 guys headed to the combine. There's a good chance they're going to have eight or nine guys at the combine next year. You're potentially looking at 15 to 20 guys that could be drafted over the next two to three seasons from this program, which sells recruiting more than anything. Steve Sarkeesian got paid because he's doing a great job, and he got a little bit extra because he's not done. Don't forget, he's obsessed. He
1: is Justin Wells of Inside Texas, insidetexas.com, and the Inside Texas YouTube channel. Coming up, one more segment with Justin. That's right, you're getting a bonus segment with Justin Wells of Inside Texas today. We get into the slightly altered college football playoff format, it's going from six conference champs and six. At large bids to five and seven seems obvious, but there's another aspect of that that is maybe up for debate. Talk about that with Justin Wells, Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the Inside Texas YouTube channel, right here on Sports Day Plus on 1027 ESPN and 1027
0: ESPN.com. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up,
1: I have one final segment with Justin Wells of Inside Texas talking about the college football playoff format and more. First, though, I needed to let you know about another friend of mine. That would actually be the Great People at Good Stock by Nolan Ryan. It is one of the finest butcher shops in all of Central Texas. Had a chance to stop by there last week as my family was leaving Kalahari. It's actually right next to the Dell Diamond, which I had not realized. Just east of Dell Diamond. On 79, and it is such a high-quality butcher shop. So many different types of great meat in there, starting with the beef, of course, also really good chicken, quail-stuffed bacon-wrapped jalapenos that was out of this world. And, oh, my goodness, were the two strip steaks that I purchased, not only well-received by my family, but we all agreed it's two of the best cuts of meat that I've ever cooked in the Elling household. Nice fatty strip over the top, and that fat cap on the end there, It was so good, and I can't wait to get back there to purchase some more. If you're on 79, just east of the Dell Diamond, look for the Hat Creek Burger Company at that very next light. Take the turn there. It's actually a very functional light it is uh, somebody who has done a good job of programming that light to where you're not sitting there forever for the turn or to get back out from that shopping center the good stock by nolan ryan is right next to the summer moon which is there on the corner as well it is good stock by nolan ryan their website goodstocktx.com and now for a final segment with justin wells of inside texas the third voice you're going to hear is my broadcasting co-host with a different venture brad kellner Justin, college football feels wide open right now because there's a slight dearth in really good head coaches or at least guys who have that proven track record, especially with Saban and Harbaugh leaving for different reasons over the last couple of months now. What coaches in college football would you take over Steve Sarkisian right now?
0: Dang, I don't think you've ever stumped me before. (laughs) And you've tried. Man, that's a great question. What's Saban and Harbaugh out of the out of the mix? I think Sark is is probably the for Texas, it's Sark. Now, Kirby could come to Austin and win obviously, just like he's winning in Athens. But Sark is, is is built for this. He runs this place like an NFL program. He like, and, and I think that experience with the Falcons and what he went through has actually only helped him, especially hanging out with Saban for a few years in Tuscaloosa, putting out the best offense that college has ever seen. You know, Kirby Smart might be the only guy that I'd have to like raise my brow a little bit and think about. Cause Kirby's going to build a pretty huge defense. Whereas Sark's going to build a pretty dynamic offense. They're kind of two different guys in that sense. So you kind of, you know, you got to pick your poison. But I can't think of a guy, Trey. And I know I'm. I, I should probably. I could. Probably, you know, there are a couple guys that I would put right under him. You know, Kyle Whittingham. You know, I'm a big fan of him. I think Dan Lanning's doing some really good things in Oregon. But man, outside of Kirby Smart, you're right. There's not a lot of coaches that are even coaching that have titles. You know, it, 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 it's one of those things where Dabu Sweeney won a few, you know, five or six years ago when you you thought that trend would continue. But he went the Mac Brown route where it's a slow decline instead of a, a steady pace or even a, a more of a trajectory. And so I don't I can't think of there's not one guy I would rather have in Austin than Sark. But overall, I mean, you're looking at Sark and and Kirby Smart, and those are the two guys that are always going to get the phone calls when these coaching jobs come open. And they're also the two guys that are going to return the call with, thank you, but I'm at the very best place I can possibly be right now. Yeah, you brought up an interesting name with
1: Whittingham. Ultimately, you're probably right, though, in large part, not just because of the on-field success or the recent on-field success, but because of that temperament. And that's why it does seem like Kirby Smart, on top of the football acumen, might work here is because – the Georgia and Texas temperaments are very similar, BK.
2: Yeah. Any thoughts on uh, Kalen DeBoer, Justin? That was a name train I talked about this morning. I mean, yeah. obviously, fit has to be taken into consideration, but I feel like I have to mention his name because of uh, what he's done against Sark these last two
0: years. Where would you put him? Hey, give Kalen DeBoer all the credit. Yeah. First off, he's 2-0 and against Sark, mm-hmm. and, and and don't think Sark doesn't have that in the back of his mind. Secondly, everywhere DeBoer has gone, he wins yeah. at every level. If anyone earned that Alabama opportunity to follow Saban, it's Kalen DeBoer. I really do. I, I, I really do believe that. The only reason I still pick Sark over that is because building around a school in Washington is a lot different than building a program in Texas. Like, Huge difference. I wouldn't say Grand Canyon, but some large mountains. There's a difference there. And so now if DeBoer gets to Tuscaloosa and starts running off 12 and one, 13 and one, 12 and two seasons, I might have to revisit my answer because Kalen DeBoer does an amazing job. But I think I think DeBoer was the product of a really good two-year run. Where he had a veteran quarterback that played what forty or fifty college games. He had three NFL wide receivers, one of which Texas Tech just blew off and let leave for whatever reason. I guess he wasn't on brand in mm. Lubbock uh, and Jalen Polk. And so I think it was kind of a mixture of of, of a lot of good fortune and, and just you know knowing you know Michael Penix from his Indiana days, knowing the right people. I wouldn't put Kalen in that category just yet, and I don't want to bemoan you know, anything he's done because again he's two and zero against Texas in the Sark era, so he's doing something right. Mm. But he hasn't had to build a program like Texas. He hasn't, and at Alabama, all he's doing is really getting the keys to the car. Did you notice that they take the pictures? And there was that one picture in Saban's office that we always saw, and it was the painting behind him. Of Trent Richardson scoring a touchdown against Texas in that in that Rose Bowl where he won his first national title. Do you notice that? That is in every single picture Saban would take with parents and with players and things of that sort. Deboer's there now. That picture's gone. That picture's not there anymore. Now it's it. It, it looks like it's a painting of Nick Saban resembling Jesus. Like it has got the long hair and there's like he's got a lighting system over the top of it. And, and I'm wondering if he has to go to the altar, you know, every morning. You know, I'm not going to get on Kalen because he is taking over the premier po- program in college football and has been for the last 15 years. Let me see what he does in the first two seasons with that with that takeover of that team and, and the, the, the mix up of that team. I, right now, I still have Sark ahead of him. All
2: right,
1: Trey. Any more for Jay Welsh? Nick Saban's statuettes that have his arms out like a T are at an all-time high in sales at the Tuscaloosa Walmart, guys. Uh, Justin, college football just. Uh, uh, altered ever so slightly the expanded playoff and let what that's going to look like for at least the next couple of years going from yeah. 6 and 6 to 5 and 7 uh seems pretty obvious to everybody with what the Pac-12 currently is or isn't that whittling that down to 5 and 7 is a good idea. What do you think though about the four buys going to the four highest ranked uh, conference championship game winners, potentially excluding a really good team from uh, one of those conferences who may be ranked in that top four at the end of the
0: season? That is one of the ultimate questions that we're looking at because here's, here's my problem with this playoff stuff. How do they know what works if they keep changing it every couple of years? There's no, there's only small sample sizes of what they did to get to a national championship, to get the bowl situation back from the BCS days. So for me, I'm honestly, I I don't think they're done because I don't think they, I think there's so much money to be grabbed in in this, doing this way, which other college football levels, D2 and all that, FCS, all that they do, FBS, they do all that too. And so, Call me when they figure it out <laughs> because I don't know if this is going to be the system or not, because you know what's going to happen. Are people going to gripe about, well, why was so-and-so ranked so high to get a buy when their strength of schedule wasn't as good? And why are you taking Liberty at number 11 when they were the the highest rated, you know, non-P5 team, but the number 12 was, you know, one of the big dogs in the SEC and an LSU or, or an Ole Miss or somebody like, no matter what, there's going to be arguments and there's going to be chaos. I just feel like they should settle on a playoff and live with it because then you can start to build traditions. Then you can start to see a continuity. Then you can start to see, okay, right before right after Christmas, we got playoff games. New Year's Day, we got even more important playoff games. And then coming in mid-January, we get the big games. Give us something. Let it be. And then let's figure out if that's the best route to do it. I just feel like they change it so much. It's hard to get a good read on what's best and what's not best.
2: Mm, that's well said. All right, Jay Wells, here's a little screen share of Inside Texas. I'm not going to click on any of the articles. We're going to make uh, sure everybody is subscribed over to IT. But we'll <laughs> give you the floor before we let you go, man. I mean, you mentioned some of it at the start, but some of the great work that you guys have on Inside Texas that uh, our fans can, can get if they subscribe.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty simple. Uh, If you're a Texas fan, you got to come to insidetexas.com. You got to come join us. They're really, we say this all the time. There's not a better time to join, but it's actually true. Like Texas is on such a good trajectory. They are going to sign an outstanding 2025 class. They already have a great basis for that cycle with five commits already. I could see a few others jumping in the mix over the next three or four months. Uh, You know, it took to get into to to those those June and July or June rather uh, official visits. Man, there's just so much going on right now from from team stuff, from from recruiting, from Sean McVay to new recruiting staffs hired to a 12 team playoff. It's just it's a party. okay? and I like to party. So come see us at InsideTexas.com. Eric nalin Joe Cook in the stash. Ian Boyd, Paul Wadlington, Charlie Williams, Tim Preston, Will Gallagher. If I'm missing somebody, I'm sorry. We got our YouTube guys. Lucas is, is the man, uh, Texas Homer is the man, um, Drew Kelson. Killing it on the YouTube channel stuff. Like I said, there's not a better time. Come hang out with us. It's a good time.
2: All
1: right. Uh, he is Justin Wells, Inside Texas, insidetexas.com, that Inside Texas YouTube channel. Follow his work at all of those places and at Twitter, Justin Wells2424. J Dub, thank you as always for the time, my friend.
0: Man, it's so good to see you guys. I love talking to you guys. I look forward to seeing you guys. I look forward to the phone calls and the text messages. And you guys continue to kill it on Texas Unfiltered. I absolutely watch this thing on a regular basis. Nothing but love, gentlemen.
1: Coming up and Where We At In Society, a San Francisco-area school spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to implement a woke kindergarten program. Surely that went well. Stay tuned to find out. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Coming up, it is a final segment with where we at in society. First, though, I need to let you know about a friend of mine. His name is Brian Hummel. His website, hummelrealtor.com. Are you searching for your dream home in Austin? Or maybe you're curious about how much your home is worth. Look no further than Brian Hummel, your trusted Austin realtor with Realty One Group Prosper. Brian is more than just a realtor. He's a full-service expert overseeing your entire transaction from start to finish. He'll lead you through each step of the buying or selling process with questions answered and details explained in plain English. With over two decades in Austin, Brian has witnessed the dynamic growth and evolution of the Central Texas market, making him your Your invaluable resource for buying, selling, and investing. And as a certified real estate negotiator, Brian brings a strategic and skillful approach to bargaining. He secures the best deals, whether it's getting the highest price for a seller or the most favorable terms for a buyer. Plus, Brian's vast network of quality referral partners, from mortgage brokers to home inspectors, appraisers, and more, will ensure a smooth real estate transaction experience. When you choose Brian Hummel as your realtor, you're not just hiring a real estate expert, you're gaining a trusted partner committed to your success. It's been fascinating to live here in Central Texas over the last year or so because the real estate has cooled down significantly. But guess what? Signs are pointing to things changing in a hurry and you know it's only a matter of time in this area. It is one of those strange points where it's actually pretty good for both buyer and seller right now if you're either contact brian today at 512-619-1347 that's 512-619-1347 or log on to his website HummelRealtor.com. that's h-u-m-m-e-l realtor.com brian hummel with realty one the one you need it is the final segment of today's show which means it's time for
0: where are we at in society today
1: That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction very occasionally. I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. Today is debatable because on the one hand, you have a program that fits perfectly into the where we at in society mantra. On the other hand, it's an ideology that completely fell on its face. So let's find out whether society is in a better place today than it was yesterday based on this single story. And we go to the San Francisco area for today's story where we get plenty of incredible classic where we at in society items. A Bay Area elementary school struggling to boost low test scores and dismal student attendance spent $250,000 in federal money for an organization called Woke Kindergarten to train teachers to confront white supremacy, disrupt racism, and oppression and remove these barriers to learning woke kindergarten sessions, trained teachers on concepts and curriculum that were available to use in classrooms with any of this elementary school's almost 500 students, those poor kids. These sessions were funded through a federal program meant to help the country's lowest performing schools boost student achievement. So what better way to do that than, I don't know, teaching problem solving putting some added emphasis in after-school programs that help kids learn or help kids read better or maybe better understand math. No, let's ignore all of that. Let's make sure our teachers understand how to confront white supremacy and disrupt racism and oppression in the process, which are enormous barriers to learning, according to California, which is a state that for a long time has taken on that victim's mentality. Now, this program got going two years ago and is entering year three of a three-year contract. Which, by the way, Woke Kindergarten is a for-profit company. But unfortunately, the results from the students themselves speak to a failed program. That's right. Student achievement at this elementary school has fallen Prompting some teachers to question whether the money was well spent given the needs of the students who are predominantly low income, with two thirds of the students being English learners and more than 80% Hispanic or Latino. Why do a better job of teaching them how to speak, oh, I don't know, English versus teaching them the perils of white supremacy? Why? Pay for more school breakfasts and school lunches for those kids who are in low-income situations who may not have access to the sort of nutrition that actually helps you do a better job of learning once you're properly fed. Ah, screw that. Let's teach them about white supremacy instead. So what scores were lower? Oh, I don't know. How about the two things that we test for in this country? English and math scores. Hit new lows at this elementary school last spring. With less than 4% of students in this elementary school proficient in math. Less than 4%. Let's call it 3 out of every 100 kids. And just under 12% at grade level in English. That's a decline of 4 percentage points in each category since woke kindergarten. This program was started for teachers with a trickle-down effect on the students. So both pathetic sets of scores are even more pathetic as a result of woke kindergarten. Who could have seen this coming? Who could have seen spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to combat the perils of white supremacy in elementary schools with a population that is, at best, 20% Caucasian, which is likely less than that? Screw the free meals. Screw the free tutoring, screw the extra help, or any other possible avenue that hundreds of thousands of dollars could have helped the school out with. Maybe better salaries to get better teachers in place, or better leadership. Now instead, we're just going to teach about the perils of white supremacy, and why you're stupid kids has nothing to do with the school itself, it has to do with this arcane concept. That has now been overplayed. And is a form of race baiting. Even though the pre- program. Is an abject failure right now. Don't tell that to district officials. Who are still defending this program. Saying that woke kindergarten. Did what it was hired to do. The district pointed to improvements. In attendance and suspicion rates. And that the school was no longer. On the state watch list. Unfortunately after they made such ridiculous claims, despite the fact that their scores in both categories, math and English, fell by 4% to even more pathetic levels than they were at before. Thankfully, the Chronicle stepped in and said, no, actually, you're still on the list. But sadly, it had dropped to an even lower level than school officials were willing to let on. So look, I get it, sunk cost fallacy is a thing, sunk cost fallacy, that is you put so much effort, maybe finances, into something that you have a hard time quitting it, but if this elementary school had an ounce of sense and intelligence, they would drop this program like dead weight, because that's what it is right now. It is literally dragging you down further than where you already were. And you were already pretty darn close to rock bottom. But this is a hard concept for a lot of people in modern times and throughout human history. If we're being completely honest, people have a hard time admitting fault, admitting mistakes. And in this day and age, not only do people have a hard time admitting mistakes, they'll usually double down with an even bigger mistake. So I'm not going to be surprised to see woke kindergarten get some sort of three-year extension as a result of this because these elementary school officials will show us we could drop those math rates down to zero. Not a single kid is proficient in math for their grade. By the time woke kindergarten is through with them, they will understand the perils of white supremacy, though. English, 12 12%. Pff. We can push that into single digits. Are you kidding me? Just takes a little bit more woke kindergarten to make that happen. The decision to bring in woke kindergarten rather than a more traditional literacy or math improvement program aligns with the belief by some parents and educators that the current education system isn't working for many disadvantaged children. Yes, and there are a variety of reasons for that. Part of that is the education system. I don't doubt that I have frustrations with my own kids education system, and they are actually going to good schools. But for kids who are socioeconomically disadvantaged, who are likely coming from broken homes, a lot of single parent homes, and look, I'm not being critical of the single parent home necessarily, but it puts the kids in that household at an inherent disadvantage. And if you're working with less money and you can't properly nourish your kids and you can't pay those kids, the attention that they need for a variety of things, social development and otherwise, there's problems there. Can't pay for their breakfast. They're not eating anything for breakfast or maybe getting a crappy lunch that's mostly junk food. Yeah, they're going to be way behind. And to not address any of those things, but instead to choose to spend those hundreds of thousands of dollars On a race baiting program at a school where white people are at best a fifth of the students at this school, and it's probably significantly less than that. It's probably more like one-tenth. One, you're creating very unnecessary friction and enemies thanks to these teachers who are now teaching about the perils of white supremacy, and you're putting these kids even further behind. But hey, what do you expect? It's San Francisco. Unless you're a stupid brand of rich or a stupid brand of poor, you don't matter. And apparently this poor school district doesn't even qualify. You need to be poorer than that. You need to be poor so poor that your kids aren't even going to school anymore. At that point, you may have a chance in San Francisco. All right, that is it for another edition of the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back tomorrow at 6. In the meantime, folks, have a great rest of the evening, and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.